0: hello listeners a brief message before you start the show unfortunately max was suffering from some technical difficulties during recording it does affect the audio quality at times we've done our best to clean it up for you hopefully it's still an enjoyable listening experience what can you do those damn gremlins Mic, camera, action.
1: I killed him, I swear I killed him! Drop your guns! That chance. Yeah, that'll happen. Last chance, let the hostages go, or you're out of there. Bring the money here, to me! I'll take the floor on the left. Why don't you take the two on the right and leave the rest alone? I killed them all! I don't care!
2: You should take the two on the right. You're not that fast anymore. Everything faster is light. We'll see.
1: Bullets go faster than blades. Bring me money! Here! Now! You want the money? Go get it. What's that?
2: In a text.
0: Welcome back to the Filmography, the show dedicated to watching every credited film from an actor's complete back catalogue, from past debut through to present day, in chronological order. Each episode, I'm joined by an esteemed guest to watch and discuss the next entry from the Focus Filmography, and consider how it ranks amidst their career, and whether we can trace any typecasting trends or topic traits, or theatrical tics. For episode 23, I'm joined by Mandatory Max to discuss the 23rd big screen appearance of the Staith. In the franchise launching the Expendables, we watch, you listen, and hopefully watch along too. So, Max, thank you very much for returning to the show. It's it's about time we get back together, and there couldn't be a better film, I don't think, for, for you to bring your expertise to than Stallone, Statham, and all the other names that we have in this. Although we'll, we will have to talk about how big a role some of the bigger names play in this. Because it was very much sold on it being, you know, this kind of collection of action heroes, and I do like everybody that's in it, but it's not quite the premise that we were promised. I don't think.
2: Yeah, it's not quite the ensemble piece. It's kind of sold as is it really. It's kind of a almost a two-hander really with Stallone and Statham. Really, they are Mm. without doubt the two main stars. And Statham, well, again, we'll get to it, but Statham is is gets probably just as much screen time as Sly does. But the, the rest of the team are kind of very peripheral figures, aren't they? But, um, but even so, just to have those names under one metaphorical roof, is a, especially at the time as well, was, it was a treat, I'll say.
0: Well, it certainly shows in the box office, doesn't it? I mean, clearly everyone turned up mm. because it was the Planet Hollywood boys getting together for the first time, which is quite mad to think it took this long because the box office is absolutely massive for this, like 274.5 million.
2: Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was, I think people were just ready for it as well. I mean, if you think back to 2010, I think it is when this came out, this kind of film wasn't really happening. You know, Bourne, Bourne had sort of been and gone and, and was, I think, actually, I think we'd had the first three Bourne films by then, hadn't we? But we hadn't had his sort of returning Jason Bourne. I don't think we'd yet had the Bourne Legacy, that random film with Hawkeye <laughs> in that, that Jason Bourne's not even in. Um. Yeah. Um, so we'd had them. And obviously, Daniel Craig has sort of reinvented the Bond franchise. You know, four or five years before this film coming out as well. So it, this type of film, this it's very much a throwback piece, isn't it? Sort of like eighties and nineties action. So I think it was um, it was a novelty. It was you know the the appeal, like you said, of having these iconic names teaming up on screen for the first time ever, or at least sold as such. Yes. Mm. Um, and I think it was just it was sort of a a, a less refined, unapologetic not remotely cerebral action film. And I think people were, were looking forward to sort of being able to see that on the big screen again for a change after so many years.
0: Yeah, I think two words you've used there are really interesting and are definitely words we can come back to. Less refined. I think we'll talk about the filmmaking <laughs> style Stallone's gone for here because we know he is a very talented filmmaker, a talented writer, a talented director. He's gone for something particular here. And... Unapologetic, a hundred percent. Like it, it wants, it's going to do what it wants to do, and it doesn't feel, and it has to explain itself in any way whatsoever. I think there are two key phrases that we can definitely come back to. Did you see it in the cinema when it came out?
2: Yes, I remember going. I mean, we, I remember being extremely excited prior to the release. They're so hyped to see it, you know. It was, It was uh, one thing the return on Schwarzenegger to the big screen. At this point, Mm -hmm. he was still governor of California, hadn't been in a film for several years, obviously couldn't do such a thing, having a a full-time political career. So obviously, you know, seeing him in the trailer, that was exciting. Obviously, seeing sly on on you know he'd, he'd sort of done he'd rebooted Rocky and Rambo in the sort of preceding years and done well with those but now seeing him on the big screen again with a new character and surrounded by these great action guys I remember being very very excited for this and um yeah it was um so I think I think it was the opening week I went to see it yeah it must have been I think I went with a couple of friends of mine um so yeah yourself did you go and see it at the cinema or was it a, a later viewing or
0: so if this, this is 2010 I think this would have been later for me yeah because it's just that period in my life I was 30 and I think I was in the midst of a job transition uh, my partner right. at yeah. the time may well have been pregnant or we were certainly at least trying so it was a very like
1: yeah
0: just a busy time in life I think this probably wouldn't have been as much as I would have been as excited as you it would have been at Probably, (laughs) I have to go by myself to go and watch this and it just didn't fit into the schedule but I definitely remember watching it like as soon as I could because by this point I mean as is probably obvious I was a big State fan as well as of course a man of a certain age being a Stallone fan and a Swatchnago fan and I mean I don't know maybe not an Eric Roberts fan but I was a best of the best fan that's for sure
2: oh Snap. Snap, snap, snap. Love that. Yeah. Love that film.
0: So, you know, <laughs> even some of the smaller names, smaller in about comments, you know, they were draws too. So he definitely knew what he was doing when he was assembling the cast.
2: Oh, yeah, definitely. I, you know, Stone Cold, you know, I'm a, I was and still I'm a wrestling fan. You know, having Stone Cold Steve Austin in there, you know, what a what a trip that was. You know, Jet Lee, of course, Plunger and, you know, what a throwback bringing Dolphin, Bruce Willis, of course. Mickey Rock, those pre-wrestler days, but at the time, he was right back on the apex of his career, and it's vast, it really is, and I think it gets bigger in, in sort of parts two and three of the cast, it gets even huger and even more power. It's a fantastic list
0: of names, isn't it? Yeah, it's mad. I think I remember, I think I read um, Yeah, it was like 48 hours they had, didn't they, for uh, Mickey Rourke on set, uh, they basically borrowed him from Iron yeah. Man 2. And yeah, the first one, Dolph Lundgren had been in since Chain Reaction that was going to be on the big screen. And so there were lots of reasons and probably lots of different pockets of fandom that were coming out to see this. Absolutely. Yeah. And do you feel like it lived up to that expectation, your memory? I don't know. Do you feel like it lived up to it? Did you come out of it buzzing? Um, yeah, I think so.
2: Yeah, I think so. I mean, watching it back again, it's not, I mean, I'll preface it. But I think I think the sequel is a superior film. I think the Expendables two is a better film on every conceivable level than the first one, and the and the third maybe falls somewhere between the two. Mm-hmm. And obviously, the, as we record this, part four's out in a couple of weeks, isn't it? So we'll see what that brings to the table. Um, but yeah, I remember really enjoying it and rewatching it last week. Obviously, before we sat down tonight, rewatching it again, and yeah, I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. I don't think it's a perfect film by any stretch mm-hmm. of imagination. There are some things that I don't particularly enjoy about it which we'll, we'll discuss but I think overall yeah it definitely didn't disappoint it was just I think I would have been easy I would have been very easily especially back then and I think <laughs> they could have literally rolled onto the screen and done done anything you know just fired some guns kicked some people punched some people in the face and I think I would have come out of there going yeah this is great so I think at the time, I, I'm assuming I would have been 30, 31 when this came out. So I would have, you know, I would have lapped this up, especially back then. And now as a, you know, mid-40s guy, I still do. But I think it's with a slightly more ironic, no, you know, knowing eye, maybe a more critical eye. But yeah, I, it still it still does it for me. Yeah, I can't deny it.
0: Yeah, it's, it's just watchable, isn't it? It's watchable fun. And it, I think I remember the first time seeing it, Feeling like the some of the subplots, you know, the um the Jason Statham romance subplot, I'm just feeling like why, like, just and we'll maybe we'll get into that a little bit uh, and where it fits and why it's there and 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 its intentions. But I remember being a bit disappointed by that. But when we get all the big action moments, I felt like it delivered on what it wanted to do, and I still feel the same now having watched it to prep for this. Now I can't really remember it in comparison to the next two, so I feel like that's going to be a nice journey for me. I don't have quite as strong a memory of like where it fits in terms of quality. But we know who is included mm. in in number two, which is going to give it a big a big tick when um Jean-Claude Van Damme appears in the sequel.
2: Oh yeah, yeah. Playing playing a villain <laughs> called villain, uh, like <laughs> Jean Villain or something like that. I think yeah I think he's called. Um, but yeah, I think he I think the pair the pair the villainous pair in the sequel of Van Damme's the great Scott Adkins, I think is is a better villain Pen, Eric Roberts, and Stone Cold Steve Austin. Mm. You know nothing wrong with those two. I think they're great. But I think I think those two work better as um because Eric Roberts isn't a physical adversary in the film, is he? He's like a suit and tie kind of guy. They don't, there's no sort of epic fight at the end between him and Sly like there is with Sly and Van Dammen to a very lesser extent Sly and Mel Gibson at the end of the third. Um, but at least it's there. Whereas Roberts is like this, you know, suit and tie. Bureaucrat, CIA, rogue agent, isn't he? So it's not quite that physical side of it. So I think you get that more in part two, and they just up the ante a lot more with the ridiculousness and the, and the, and the you know the, the combat. But yeah, as a, like I said, as a as a starting point to the well, I was going to say trilogy, but it's soon to be a quadrilogy, of course. Mm. I, I think it's um, I think it's great. I think it's, um, yeah, it's a, it yeah. I did find it very satisfying to rewatch it,
0: and I think you know we'll talk about it in depth more. We'll move on in a sec, but I think probably the second film is what Sly wanted to make this time around. Because those names you have just mentioned were offered parts in this film and didn't yes. take them. Like Van Damme turned it down because he didn't want to do it. Scott Atkins was offered the stone cold role of pain. And I, I don't know why that didn't pan out. I couldn't find any specific information. But it's really, you know, and he wanted Arnie to be in it in a more expansive role. And of course, he will go on to do that. So maybe that's why the second film is that little bit better. Because actually... That was his intention in the first place.
2: I think So I think so, and uh, I think there's a much more tan directed. At times, it's hard to follow. It, it's so heavily edited, and you know, there's, there's wonderful three-way facts at the conclusion of the film with a statement deadly, and oh, what's the guy's name now? it's Gary Gary Daniels? Yeah, Gary uh, yeah. Daniels, who plays a character. Wonderfully, wonderfully called just the Brit. <laughs> they just <laughs> you know, they couldn't come up with a current name for him what he's calling the Brit. They have a big sort of handlebar mustache. Mm. And the three of them have this wonderful martial arts battle and thinking, wow, if those three are squaring off, you could really make this something special. But he's literally like cutting every like second or half a second and it's it loses some impact there, I think. He's I think I don't know, quite know what he was Thinking now, trying to be contemporary or something. I'm not sure what the sort of the fad was at the time. Without trying to cast my mind back to what else was out at the time, but I, I don't know. It. I think for me, it does lose a little bit in that aspect.
0: No, I completely agree. It's one of my talking points was the nature of some of the action. This feels over edited. It's for me, it's geography. I can't work out where people are at certain points of how they relate yeah. to one another. And even in the fight between Jetly and Dolph Lungren earlier on in the warehouse, that's just one on one. But again, like at times it feels like Jetley's gonna have to do a couple of flips before he gets to kick Dolph Lungren. But then they're right next to each other and it's where it's camera placement that there's lots of problems in the filmmaking in this. Every frame
2: seems to be just
0: filled with people and, and you know someone will
2: throw a punch and you don't miss we the- see impact of that punch because you're immediately cutting to next ball, or someone lurking in the background that's see, kicking another person or something like that, you don't get to stay in one situation long enough um, but that's, you know that's my biggest concern with this film, that's the thing that really sort of, I find hard to with. other than that, I think I, I, I love practically everything about it um, but that, like you know, I'm glad we agree on that, actually, because it's, it's. It, I don't know, it's, it's just too quick, isn't it? It's too, mm. the editing style that still, I mean, Stallone's not edited it, but obviously I'm sure he was very hands-on with the editings, considering he wrote, directed and starred in the film. I'm sure he was very hands-on with the, the editing process, but it just, I don't know, there seems to be too many sort of like whip pans of the camera and, and you know, these really sort of busy busy scenes i i don't know I, maybe i'm getting too old and <laughs> my, my brain can't cope with um so much overload but um yeah I, I don't remember at the time thinking that i remember thinking yay yay but i don't know i guess i'm uh, i guess i'm just getting too old and need need to uh, see more i guess
0: no <laughs> i mean <laughs> i don't think it's an aging i think you're absolutely right in what you said before about how like it was on trend wasn't it you know with, with jason bourne as you mentioned yeah. before we were in the choppy action era weren't we I watched a documentary last night. I don't know if you've heard of it, called Inferno: The Making of the Expendables, is what is its official title.
2: No, I think that might be an extra on the. Um, it is the, on the, the the Blu-ray disc. I think that might. Yeah, yeah. It's like a feature-length sort of making, isn't it? Yeah.
0: Yeah, it's about ninety minutes, and I, I don't think it. I've ever watched it though. No, and I thought you know maybe it'll give me some insight into some scenes. I particularly wanted to find out if that was Jason Statham at the nose of that plane as it was actually flying. It wasn't really a behind-the-scenes making of in that way. What it was was almost like a a diary of Stallone's life as he was making this movie. The making of Rocky Drago documentary was done by the same documentarian, actually. So if you've seen that, probably will give you a bit of a flavour of what this might be like as well. Very much Stallone being philosophical and talking about his craft. And and I find him a really fascinating guy when he's talking about that kind of stuff because he really... Intellectualizes his choices and is very good at explaining them, I think. But there is a moment in that documentary, and it's during the big battle towards the end. And it's the lone talking to the camera operators, and he's doing exactly what you've just done. It's so you're so spot on. I've just found the quote here. He's going fast, rapido, rapido, move that camera around, shaky cam. That's it, whip pound, whip pound, whip pound. That's what I want. Okay, cut. And it's all <laughs> so you're dead on it's exactly what he's asking for.
2: Um well, he got what he wanted then, I guess. I get <laughs> fair did. play to the camera crew. They 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 gave the boss what he wanted. You can't argue with it then mm. because um exactly what you just quoted there is exactly what is on the damn screen.
0: Yeah. And it's it's a shame, isn't it? Like you just mentioned about like you, we've got this three-way battle. We've got stunts being co- uh, coordinated by Chad Stileski. In this movie which i didn't realize until reading up about it and this is where i, I do have that bugbear sometimes where you know like well then i want to see that because we know how good his stuff looks when we're allowed to be shown it it was like talking about transporter 3 with dan you know we've allowed corey yen to choreograph and show the state in these great action moments in transporter 1 and 2 and yet now in transporter 3 when olivier megaton takes over it's Edit, edit 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 and we can't see any of it anymore so yeah mm-hmm. it's something that is a it's becoming more of a gripe for me now as well going back and watching films from this era
2: yeah it it, it um i don't know it, it's it does make it harder to watch doesn't it it just doesn't quite have the same impact it doesn't age well does it
0: no it doesn't it's a shame but i do highly recommend that documentary so i know you've got the You've got the DVD or you've got the Blu-ray, haven't you? So, it's well worth watching because I know that you're a big Stallone fan, and if you enjoyed that one about the re the recut of um, Rocky Four, I just yeah, he's and and seeing what he put his body through and his commitment to making the Expendables as good as it possibly could be is fascinating to see in this documentary. And you know, we'll, we'll nitpick and we'll find things we don't like, but it absolutely is the film he wanted to make, and he really put himself on the line in order for that to be the product that we got to see
2: yeah oh I mean you know his commitment is unparalleled I mean at this point he's 64 years old and he's being thrown around by Stone Cold Steve of Austin to the point where it doesn't end up with like a steel plate in his in his neck
0: in yeah his, he- Cracks of vertebrae,
2: yeah. Yeah, exactly. And that's at 64 years old. And, and you know, you, you did that wonderful um, tweet a few years ago, The Battle of the Bods with Statham and, uh, and Chris Pratt. <laughs> but I think you could throw Stallone in this film into the mix there. I'll give you a third option. When he getting when he's getting the world's quickest tattoo off Mickey uh, Rourke. Yeah, which, where, where he, he turns He turns up with his back and he's not finished the Expendables logo on his back. I think they've just put Expend. That's right. Like, yeah, yeah. I'm here, here to get it finished off. So he gets his top off. He's like, and Mickey Rock's like, oh brother, you like a cold piece of steel, brother, and all this. And he look, he does. He looks phenomenal for a man of that age. Well, for a man of any age, let's get real. Looks amazing. But he's literally like tattooing the those last four letters on for a, about thirty seconds, if that. It's like, oh, that's enough. Get shit on gonna Have some some banter. Um. So yeah, it's um, it is kind of weird.
0: Yeah, he looks amazing, and um, yeah, that scene is everything about that that seen that interaction between tool and between uh, barney ross is is hilarious i i noted down the exact same thing he does those five letters so fast but i also don't get why the leader of the expendables is the only one on the expendables that hasn't got the tattoo but like dolph lundgren's got it on his arm i don't know maybe not only one but dolph lundgren's character has very clearly got the tattoo on his arm so why is the the leader rocking around with Expend? I, just, yeah. I thought the concept of that scene was just a bit silly.
2: Yeah, he's like supposed to be like the founder member as well, because even in part three I'm ju- jumping off talking, even in part three, because the established that Mel Gibson's villainous character co founded the Expendables with Stallone, And he's got the tattoo on yeah. his arm as well. So it's like <laughs> when when they formed the group back in the eighties or the even the seventies, did Sloan go on ah, I'll 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 get round to that tattoo instead. I'll concentrate on having that really weird sort of Chinese dragon across both my shoulders mm. or whatever it is he's got there. And I'll, I'll come back for the uh, Expendables logo. But it does make them the least covert group of <laughs> mercenaries in the world, though. And if you think they've all, they're, they're all tattooed up with like the company logo and even those bikes that they're all driving mm. around is like a, you know, sort of wannabe sons of anarchy all the way through the film. The, the logo is on there as well, so they ain't hard to find. You know, if they make, if they make enemies
0: in some godforsaken part of the mission, it's like mm. even when um Barney, slides Barney, and Stacey Lee Christmas, when they go and pretending to be like conservationists or whatever, it is, they've got the bloody expendable symbol on the tail <laughs> fin of the plane. It's crazy, <laughs> yeah, I know, it's funny. Yeah, they've got, they've got like what, wildlife
2: conservation on the side of the <laughs> plane, but it's still got the logo, you know. You and you think like Eric Roberts's character, who's like, you know, ex-CIA, and he and they've been hired by the CIA to take him out. You think he might know of them, or you know, as like these private contractors, he might have done business with them over the years. So it's like, come on, but you know, I suppose that's <laughs> part of the fun. You got to suspend your disbelief, haven't you?
0: Oh, definitely. Yeah, is it? I think. Well, let's talk about something then. So the tone of this film, I think, is really interesting. And um, this sort of ties with what's going on here, because there are some funny moments. And I spoke before about, like, when I first watched it, not being sure where the the Staith romance with uh, Cordelia from Buffy and Angel sits, and that weird basketball scene. And I think it comes from where Stallone's been doing the rewrites. So this was a spec script by David Callaghan, who does get his name in the credits. And Stallone rewrote that. And then, as this documentary showed, was heavily rewriting all the way through the shooting, like almost every night, and then turning up new new pages the next day and like coming up with things on the fly, which again shows how creative and intelligent a filmmaker he is. But I don't know how you felt about there's some really wild tonal shifts. And I think it started off, I think, as more of a satire of the action movie. And then Sterling came in and turned it into mm. more of this kind of hard R. As I would say in America, like eighty. I don't know, is it fifteen here? Probably fifteen here, isn't it? Did you think? What did you think about those shifts? Did they work for you, or they was it? Did it feel a bit all over the place? Yeah. I mean, there's all
2: this sort of comedy banter all the way through the film, and you've got the larger-than-life characters with ridiculous names as well. It's like you said. There's two scenes in particular that really sort of take you away from the film. One, one of the, which is probably is hands down the best bit of acting in the film, which I'll, I'll come to. But the other one is, like you said, the scene with Statham and, and um, his sort of on-off girlfriend who's, obviously, he's, because of his job, you, you sort of get the vibe that he's, obviously, he's away at pre-work and she's sort of, he's, she hasn't spoken to him in weeks, so she's moved on. She's got this new fella, he comes around to house, but she's got this new fella on the go, so he kind of like, leads him to it. Um, and it's quite bizarre as well that he's she's like, we've been going together 18 months and I still don't know what you do for a living. And it's like, well, you know, call me crazy. When you start seeing someone, one of the first things you come up with in sort of when you're trying to think of desperate, think of something to say is, Oh, what do you do for a living? <laughs> you know? So God knows how, how that conversation went. Um, and then, you know, and then obviously he goes around to see her again. And, you know, she's got this really nasty black eye. Cause this new character, this new boyfriend she's got, has obviously given her a, Given her, given her a punch or something like of that nature, um, and it's a really quite somber scene, actually. You know, domestic violence is a is no laughing matter, and of course, it's not played for laughs. Of course, I must, you know, I must stress that it's not it's handled seriously and with, with some um, with sentiment. But it, it just, it's, its very much places, isn't it, from the film? Like you know, you'd expect him to come home, find her in bed with a bloke or, or something like this, or like walking on a like in the shower or something, you know, that would probably fit more of the tone of the film. And it's just like this really weird out of nowhere bit. And um, I don't know. I, I, it's weird. Cause that's the only, he's the only character in the film uh, of the main team that gets something to do outside of the team's antics and the team's mm. missions. He's the only one who's, who, they, show, they show anything of his life beyond that. And I don't, you know what, I don't know what you think. Are they trying to, are they trying to big, like them up because he's you know he is the more of the rising star and he's the future of the genre still stallone starting to age out of it um you know are they trying to sort of put more flesh on the bone for him you know it's, i don't know to, to me it kind of just sits a bit unusual in the film i don't know what you think about it
0: yeah i don't i don't think it fits at all no i completely agree I, and actually yeah it, it the, the scene I'm going to compare it to, it's a very different style of movie, but something like Armageddon. So when they all get that like one night before they go off to blow the asteroid and you do get, you know, Steve Buscemi goes gambling and poses to a strip or whatever it is that he does. And, you know, everyone goes on and does their own little thing. Yeah. But like I said, you get snippets of everyone's life and what they're like outside of their missions. But you're right. It's very odd that he's the only one. We get yeah. Jet Lee's character, don't we, talking about his family, but he's making it all up just trying to get A pay rise i don't know i think that was supposed Mm -hmm. to be funny too but yeah i don't uh, i don't need it in this movie and i think it was one of the things that when i first saw as i said at the start i think that always bothered me a little bit i just didn't feel like it it sat with the tone because the banter stuff really works particularly between stallone and statham that stuff is great and clearly they're good chemistry and they got on but when it tries to be funny have comedic scenes it definitely falls flat
2: yeah yeah i think so it's um, you know it's an it excuse to show him i guess boyfriend and he's mm. you know, shows him, shows him off to be more of a badass um, um but yeah but it doesn't it doesn't really service the the plot as such you know i obviously you know she's she's practically well, no, she's not the only female in it, of course, isn't she? Because the general's daughter is a much bigger role, mm-hmm. and there's sort of some hint at kind of a hint at a possible romantic future with her and Stallone's character Barney, mm. even though he's far too old for her. And I suppose you know they, they avoid going down that route by the end of the film. But you, his motivation for sort of going back into the lion's den appears to be this 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 female character um so the yeah the females in the film aren't given much agency are they really i mean they're they're there you know to be sort of props and and give the give the boys something to fight for if that makes Mm. sense you know someone to protect it's um yeah i guess but again i guess that fits in with the nature of this being sort of a throwback kind of film to sort of 80s and 90s action because that's pretty much what you were getting in those films in terms Mm. of Female characters, so I guess I guess in some way it does fit in with what they're going for mm-hmm. in terms of female portrayal. But I guess through a uh, you know a, a more sophisticated modern eye, kind of you kind of think oh, they're not really doing it right, are they?
0: No, I mean that's interesting. I hadn't thought of the mirroring of like the Statham storyline and the the Stallone storyline with the two with the two women. I haven't really thought about that before. It's very icky. The Stallone and uh, the Barney and Sandra potential romance. Um, it would have been a lot better if it had been like yeah. a surrogate father-daughter type situation. That, I think that would have worked a lot more because obviously her dad is the evil dictator yeah. of the invented country and if she'd sort of seen something in, in Barney that she likes or he'd seen something in a daughter that he hadn't got or lost or I guess we're getting into rewriting a movie that we don't need to we don't, we know, we don't need to go down that road. It's the movie we got. But we'll also, did he want to add that much backstory? I don't know. When it was a it's easier just to throw in a she's fit and I think she's fit and this relationship hasn't worked out. He went for the simple simple plot line, didn't he? Rather than asking us to do some work. But yeah, neither of them add very much. And it's a shame because that Sandra character initially feels like she is gonna have something to do. She's their contact when they first get there and she takes them when it's the compound but then she's immediately captured and needs to be saved isn't she
2: yeah yeah I mean she, you know she's she 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 comes first comes across as this sort of strong woman standing up against the father and the tyranny that's you know subjected the the people mm. of this island but then he's literally relegated to damsel in distress, isn't she? You know, the, you know, at the end she's even sort of dragged off by the villain through all mm-hmm. this carnage. You know, he's taking he's taking her with him. You know, that's his prize or something like that. Before, obviously, he gets his just desserts. So, yes, yeah, it's, it sounds kind of strange. Really. Again, like you said, it might be something to do with the way the film was rewritten and maybe she, she had a different arc. Maybe, and you know, she wasn't portrayed in quite the same way, and, the, and they, they ended up with something very different.
0: Yeah,
2: a bit. that re- it's a wonderful piece when he does this, you know, this monologue about some horrific situation in, um, I think it was Bosnia, I think it was referring to, or Serbia, you know, a passion and something truly horrific that happened to him, and he's given this, you know, heartfelt monologue, and at one point, you know, he, he's in tears at the end of it. Again, it feels very much... Out of place with the rest of the film, but it is bloody good. I mean, the, that, the hands down, that is, you know, as speeches go, that's the two highlights of the franchise. of like that, and Mel Gibson's speech in the um, in the back of the van in Expendables Three after they've sort of initially captured him before he escapes. That's 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 real acting in inverted commas.
0: Mm. No, I agree with you. It's it's a stunning moment, and to know that he was only there for a couple of days. And he is kind of playing, I suppose, the same character he's playing in Iron Man Two. He's certainly styled the same. They did, you know, they didn't have time to do anything about that. But yeah, the the level of emotion he manages to find in that scene is it's <laughs> full of weight and gravitas and and truth. And but then we cut to you know, jaunty silliness and buddy banter and CGI blood. So yeah, it's, it is another. You're right to pick that out alongside. The basketball scene and, and the subplot romance for different reasons but they really uh, i like your phrasing they pull you out of the movie what i do like i do like it when a, a movie or a script or a comic comes up with like an invented bad guy island you know james bond bad guy island or an invented country which we can go to and um, so we get valverde which is the famous one from like commando and it's referenced in die hard 2 isn't it and Stephen D'Souza says he believes it's the place where predators set. Although obviously later continuity seems to dictate that, but you know we get Genosha and Latvia and all those kind of places. So I do like that we go to the island of Velena here and we get this this invented place where we can go to and we can not worry about pissing anybody off.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's always good, isn't it? A fictional fictional country, you know. You know they they've uh, they've insulted the Somali pilot enough at that. You know. So the actual sort of majority of the film will just uh, make a fictional, a fictional uh, race of people. I think they never mention it, and that's very wise at times, I think, when you're portraying them in a bad light and, and basically slaughtering them by the by the boatload like yeah. you do know, at the end of this film. <laughs> I, think, I, th- <laughs> I think it's very wise to keep your mouth shut as to where it's supposed to be. Um, but again, like you said about the you know the films where to make up these place names, it, it, and it is like you say, a very comic booky thing to do but they don't tend to do it in films really films films are not set in fictional nations other than other than fantasy films obviously mm. and things of that nature but films that are supposed to be supposed to be in the real world which the film is in the real world um you know you don't have fictional nations so i yeah i like that i like that it's uh, it's a nice touch it's a nice mm. touch and it allows you to not it allows you to almost not care
0: <laughs> it does it definitely does the, the soldiers are weird as well they're like school bullies there's the scene where they're like driving down the road taking um eric robert's carrots i can't think of his name at the moment what is he called Munro. that's it thank you yeah taking monroe like back to their compound and there's a broken down like fruit and veg truck or something isn't there And they're like getting out and they're like like school bullies like come on move out the way and they're pushing them over it's another kind of strangely comical scene when really it should be. There should be something quite fierce and scary going on there because then when we compare that to how they treat Sandra and they capture her and they're waterboarding her and mm-hmm. it doesn't. Always, this is again back to this tonal shift. Sometimes they don't always quite match up.
2: Yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah, they they kind of they're neither one thing nor the other, are they? There's even a, I think Monroe even says at one point. Refers to the fact that the men have been trained by Pain by Stone Cold's character. Mm. He says, uh, how how you know, can you explain why the men that were trained by this gentleman here? Um, and he's supposed to be like this ultimate, you know, fucking evil military hard case, isn't he? Um, but yeah, they're kind of they kind of neither one thing nor the other. And as in all the best action films, they are utterly incompetent as well, aren't <laughs> there, you know, they? <laughs> there's about there's a hundred of them against five as it's, yeah, five expendable team members, and they
0: are just as a
2: scratch, but you know.
0: How do you feel about the fact that in a movie called The Expendables, none of them are expendable?
2: I mean, yeah, and and that's throughout the. actually there's, there's a, a a new character introduced come on is is purely there to die. Um. <laughs> But yeah, yeah, I know what you mean. They're supposed to be like these, they are expendable. That's the name of the team. So you know, they go on these missions where they—they they could all die at any given moment. But there's never any real sense of peril for any of them, is there? You know, no. um, you know, maybe, maybe maybe Stallone when he's getting his ass kicked by Stone Cold, you know, and he refers to the fact that he got his ass kicked mm. as well, which is, I guess, I guess it's that's. Something quite. Cause if he'd have sort of gone hand to hand with him and come out the, as as the victor of a man that's twenty years younger and probably about hundred pounds heavier, and you know, m- probably about a foot taller as well, it would have sort of stretched stretched the limits of your imagination to Rocky Four um, <laughs> proportions. Um, so, so yeah, I suppose that's quite good. But yeah, um, sorry, going back to your question, yeah, it's kind of strange that. There is no real sense of uh, danger and 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 stakes, um, and yeah, no one truly is expendable. It's weird, isn't it?
0: It is, and I think it's a bit of a, a mis trick, isn't it? I think Dolph Lundgren's character Gunner, was meant to die in the original draft, but because his performance, his yeah. performance is great, his performance was so good, I think they changed the script in order for him to be able to survive. I don't know. I mean, it, it's not a big deal i think it would add the film an extra bit of weight wouldn't it that you know you get that men on a mission movie and the the one man that didn't make it back or i think it's something like navy seals with bill paxton and michael bean and you know the end of that movie and charlie sheen like the end of that movie not everybody makes it back and it it lends that that mission they've they've gone on so much more weight
2: yeah, I think yeah, I think they could have killed one of the team off in that last battle, and it would have it would have you know if they'd have gone back rather than the sort of party back at Tool's place with the knife rowing and everything, if they'd have had you know a fallen brother so to speak, yeah, mm. they, I think that wouldn't have been a bad thing. I don't know who I don't know who I'd have picked though to not make it. I don't know who who do you think would have been the best choice?
0: It's tough, isn't it? Because when well, I love Terry Crews and. He's playing Terry Crews again in this, but he's always great. That man deserves his own franchise. I guess Randy Couture would be be the obvious choice of who we've got in this, but he gets his nice moment, doesn't he? Overcoming Stone Cold's pain after. And I love that you said that, and I think that's really important that Stallone is willing to get his ass kicked, one, and be open about it, because we're in an era now, aren't we, where everyone's invincible and... People have written to their contracts that they have to have the same number of punches and all this kind of stuff. It is really cool that Barney just gets his ass absolutely whooped and owns up to it. I think that's great. But I guess Jet Lee, yeah. maybe because he's Jet Lee, and that would be really shocking. I don't know. What What do you think? Yeah, I think Jet Lee. would have been the like right choice. I think because I think if, if Terry Crews and Randy being killed off,
2: they're like the most minor members of the team, aren't they? Mm. But yeah, I think if had to go jelly. because he plays such a minimal part in part two and three anyway. Mm-hmm. He's only in the very opening of part two and he only shows up hanging out the chopper in right part three. So I, I don't think, it, you know, they, they would have missed out on much if they'd have killed him. But I think, yeah, I think he would have been a good choice as well. You know, particularly with him sort of talking about the... the Family he has or doesn't have, and all this, and you know how he sort of escapes death once at the hands of Dolph, mm. you know, sliced involved, and all that. So yeah, I think yeah, I think that would have been a really good narrative choice. Actually, I would have liked that. Yeah,
0: and with with the opening credits, we get don't we? We get Stallone, Stath, uh, and Jet Lee, and then it kind of stops, doesn't it? And then we get the mm. title. They're they're they they're the above the title names, and then we get everyone else. Say. So, I guess it maybe would have been unexpected as well, because he's the third character. He's the, and he's important. He's, and he is ostensibly the kind of the third lead of the team, isn't he? So, oh, you're right. Yeah. Either of the other two characters weren't, aren't important enough in order for, for it to have enough weight.
2: Yeah, I think so. I think, you know, I think it, as long as it was done in like a tasteful way and they don't make some Chinese joke or something <laughs> at the end of it. And mm. um, it gone out like a, you know, like a hero. Yeah. I think it would have been a choice actually. Yeah, I would have liked to not like to have seen Jet League Barrett. I think it would have it would have been a, a bold choice, I think, and would have worked.
0: Hmm. You never know. Well, we may circle back round to this conversation when we discuss Expendables 4.
2: I think so. I think mm. so. I think that's the way they're looking at it, aren't they? Especially with the with the billing with Sly being not first on the call sheet but he's he's last with the and Sylvester mm. Stallone. and he's 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 said himself this is his last appearance as Barney Ross mm-hmm. so he's either getting killed off or or retired off um so yeah i think i think he i, think, I don't think Barney's going to uh, survive this one uh, but we'll see i guess we'll see in a couple of weeks when it comes out if we're right
0: and maybe they're just playing with us right like all those marvel trailers used to do
2: Yeah, yeah. Well, I hope so in a way, though, because I really don't want him to to end up like that. You know, if he has to step away from the franchise, fair enough. I mean, Sly's not getting any younger now. He's in his late 70s at this point. So you're stretching the sort of the believability to mm-hmm. literally to breaking point now is like even though he, you can still buy him as a tough guy mm. but perhaps not a in, in his Tulsa King show I think that's the perfect fit for him now where he's playing in a tough guy but not an action guy you know whereas if he's supposed to be still this elite military mercenary it's you kind of I mean let's face it you were in, in part one let's be honest but you get away with it because he's sly but now we're you know we are 13 years on it you know you're really at the end of that road so you know i i, I do hope there's a, a not a bleak end. Point.
0: Mm. No, i 100% agree with that that he's fantastic in tulsa king isn't he it's a wonderful show and he's so good in it oh it's it's amazing i can't wait for season two and well, he and he could also become like the the tool character couldn't he he's the guy that sends people out on the mission much like I don't know, we obviously we've had Dead Reckoning 1, but whether we're going to get it in Dead Reckoning 2, Cruz is saying that's his final Mission Impossible movie, isn't he, as well? So whether he's leaving that franchise permanently or whether he's not the leading man anymore, and he becomes the the, the TV series Jim Phelps type character. Stallone could go sideways, couldn't he, and become the send you out on the mission, and basically yeah. Christmas steps up and becomes the leader of the mission
2: yeah exactly yeah you don't have to i mean it's just the fact that he, he has said this is his mm. his last appearance so but that's not thinking on the proviso that there'll be another film i mean obviously if there is a, f- a fifth film depends on the success or lack thereof of this fourth installment doesn't it i mean they're not going to greenlight a fifth if this absolutely bombs mm. um so it it'd be interesting to see i really hope so i mean i you know i'll watch as long as Sly's upright and Drawing breath, I'll buy him. He's a tough guy. Same with Arnold Schwarzenegger as well, you know. Um, I'll still, you know, I, I, even now, I Schwarzenegger I just put the leather jacket and shades on him. do Terminator Seven, please. I'll, I'll be first in line for it. First in line for it, um, even though that's not going to happen either. But um, but yeah, I, I, I just I, I I can't get enough of Stone. I think he's superb, and I think you know he he he, he mostly wrangles this film. Well, apart from the things we've already mentioned, but mm. I think he he does showcase his mate Jason Statham very well in this film, and and it it's as much the Statham show as the Stallone show, isn't it?
0: Mm, I agree, and you know it has been a case of diminishing returns for the Expendables franchise; it has been slightly less each time. So you're absolutely right. I guess what they're probably waiting to see is there a hunger for this again or or not? Before we get to the Statham, though, as you have just mentioned the Austrian oak himself, we need to talk about Arnie we need to talk about that scene that combines him and willis and stallone together for the first and only time so they share a scene again the actual three of them together in a scene in the sequels
2: i think there's one scene in the sequel after the huge sort of airport shootout mm. yeah that 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 brief exchange by the chopper in part 2 it's it's a it's a nice little scene but it's not on the level of this scene that's mm. in this the original film. I think this scene is superb, isn't it?
0: Yeah, I don't. I don't know. I don't know if I can decide how much I like it and how much I don't. Now, what I do know that I really like is this Willis. I just miss this Bruce Willis so much, and I know we're not mm. going to get it again because of his health issues. But this mm. cocksure, wisecracking—like nothing can touch me. I love Bruce Willis when he's in that that mould, and just for the few mm. minutes he's on screen here. He's that he's that Bruce Willis again, and the the you know the the yeah. smirk and the laugh after he delivers his improvised line actually of um, yeah you know, you're not going to go suck each other's dicks. I think obviously it's acting when we see Stallone and Schwarzenegger <laughs> react to that, but he did that in the moment if you know rumors are to be believed. So maybe the faces they're pulling when they're acting are actually the real faces they they pulled when he dropped the line on them without them expecting it. But yeah, seeing this Willis is yeah. is wonderful. Oh, I I completely
2: agree. It's it is great, and like you said, it's such a shame that what's obviously happened to him in recent years, and you know, it's 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 a, a, a tragic way for his career to end and being on his own terms. Um, but what a career he's had, we must say. But yeah, it it just again, you can't underestimate the significance of getting those three guys in the same scene together. You know, the three. For, for, for years, the three men that defined action cinema, for better mm. or worse, but they did. Um, and to have the three of them there together, um, you know, it's not an action scene, it's very a dialogue scene. It's only, you know, it's only probably about three or four minutes. I mean, St- Schwarzenegger did it, just did it on his day off from being governor of California. They, they filmed it in California in a church, mm. and he just came down for the day and, and, and did it uh, for no, neither of them got paid, apparently. Uh, mm. They just did it as a favour to Sly for this. I'm sure they got paid well next time, but for this one, they just did it as a, <laughs> a favour. Um, but yeah, I mean, it is great, and the, the banter and the charisma as well between the three of them as well. I mean, like you said about Bruce Willis and and the the charm and the, and the arrogance and the stuff he comes out with. But yeah, it, it's it's a magical scene. It's one I could watch in isolation you know don't have to see much film just watch that clip on Mm. youtube i recommend anyone who's not seen it to just just watch it it's readily available out there to see and it's you know it's just three of the very best in the business just they look like they're having so much fun with it as well don't Mm -hmm.
0: they and i can't disagree with anything you said i think you're absolutely right and your enthusiasm is is the right level of enthusiasm for having these three iconic actors together i guess it's just it's reality versus expectations it's what Mm. what is is great but what obviously what I would want would be gigantic would be you know so considering what they could do with the time that everyone had that Arnie's just popping in when he can on his day off and he's doing it for free I think it's a lovely little scene I guess you know I can't help but want a bit more
2: yeah I know what you mean well we get bit we get that bit more in the sequel with obviously yeah. Arnie, Arnie and Arnie and Bruce, you know, fully playing a part at the end and getting involved in the fight and all the rest of it. So we do we do get that. We just had to wait for the sequel. But, um, I mean, you just cannot underestimate seeing, you know, when I think back to sort of 11-, 12-year-old me, you know, when I was, you know, just sort of worshipping the altar of Die Hard and Terminator and Rambo and Rocky and then thinking, my God, these three guys will actually appear in the same film together. It's mind-blowing.
0: Yeah, it absolutely is. But I mean, you know, you are, are absolutely going to play that up, aren't you, in order to get bums on seats? Of course you are. And you can't begrudge them that, that they used that as a little marketing ploy either.
2: Why wouldn't you? Mm. Why wouldn't you? You know, it was, at the time, it was, a, it was a massive coup to get on a Schwarzenegger, who did sort of like retired from acting a few years before, obviously, since subsequently so come back to it, but put his career completely on hold. So to get, the two of them, it just, it was a, a real coup for the film. Like he said, it's not, it's good Martin, and they're not quite playing much of the part, but just, just to have them in, you can't, mm. you can't not play on it and you can't not put them in the trailer and you cannot not put them in and things like that.
0: No, it's you not, know, it's the action movie equivalent of Pacino and De Niro in the diner and Heat, isn't it?
2: Yes, yeah, it is, isn't it really? Yeah, because you think that's kind of, virtually the only time those two play off each other in the film mm. apart from that kind of shootout at the end of the at the end of the film and that's it and you know it was obviously hev- again heavily marketed as finally these two heavyweights will meet as you know equals on the screen or forget mm. godfather 2 you know where they were in it but they were in different timelines um so to actually have you know that was but again it was you know not quite the level of interplay we thought, but what we got was very special. Mm. And and in this case, it's it's a it's not quite on that level of the Ebertino you know, De Niro Dynasty, but it's very it's still it's still a very special moment. And I, I I begrudge anyone, unless they've got a complete heart of stone or you know <laughs> just like or hate life so much that they can't just <laughs> you know watch some watch something without breaking it down and debating it and trying to put an intellectual spin on it just watch it and enjoy it and appreciate the fact that these three titans are there that's what i say
0: yeah so the man that would be king jason statham as you said and i think you put it in a really nice way you can tell that stallone really respects him and what he can do and what he's bringing to the industry because he really puts him front and center in this movie I, I mean, I haven't totaled it up, and it's probably out there on the internet somewhere. But it does feel like near enough equal screen time. He really is celebrating what he can bring to the screen, isn't he? In this movie, and I think he does a good job. What about you? I think it's
2: a real career—not career-defining. I'd I hate to use that word, but like sort of career-enhancing role, if that makes sense. And um, it just shows do a bit more than just be that kind of glowering... Cockney transatlantic Atlantic hard man, and and do do, humor, but also kick a lot of ass at the same time, and and show all the charisma that we come to expect from him in this film.
0: Quite a milestone, do you think? Maybe.
2: Yeah, I do. I do because it, it, you're basically putting him in with the with the who's who of his, for want of a better word, predecessors. I guess mm-hmm. from the previous era, and and he he he, here he is as the spearhead of the current era at this time. And you're giving him as much, if not more, than anyone else in the film. And he's carrying it. He's carrying the film. Like we said, he's the only one who gets anything to do outside of the team. Mm. You know, they could have, Stallone could have done that. They could have they could have showed scenes with Stallone going around to see his ex-wife or something. And, mm-hmm. you know, like, like they're doing a lot of these films where he goes to see the ex-wife and she bemoans the fact that his, his career costs their marriage and all the rest of it. Or, you know, something like that and how do you how he how he's never there and all the rest of it um but they don't they give it to statham and they give him the meat on the bone but i, th- I think his performance is great you know I th- wonderful character name lee christmas um <laughs> do, i mean do you think do you think that's the code name or do you think he is actually called lee christmas um i'm not sure
0: i'm not sure i do like it when church calls out barney ross doesn't he and he says like i know that's not your real name so I, th- I guess, I'm guessing they've all come up with their own code names, right?
2: Yeah, I guess so. I must ask you about this as well, because I was watching it and thinking, his his delivery of poem mm. slash tool, it's like, it was a real, and that can be sort of pick and mix at the best of times, but Jesus Christ, I, I can't the way he delivers some of the lines, like, I can't, oh, I can't remember the lines of the, the, the monologue now, it's like tool, Bad with a good with a knife, bad with a wife, or something like this. It is that's and exactly then he comes right. Up yeah. The line about dreaming he'd defeat me or something. Yeah, yeah. And It's like, are you are you, are you really like trying to stay cockney? Or are you really trying to be <laughs> an? <American>? It's so <laughs> weird that delivery, but I do love it.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, I can't help but make the comparison to Tom Cruise's Brian Flanagan in Cocktail because he constantly gets up on the bar, doesn't he, and does these he's, I think he's called like the poet bartender or something like that in that movie. Yeah. Not State doesn't quite have that fluid delivery here. Oh yeah, it, it is another classic State accent where, like, times he's full on Jason Statham fake Cockney, at times he's Jason Statham fake American. I think I've just got so used to it now, I don't even really notice it. If I'm honest,
2: yeah, that's his. He's carved out his own little niche, hasn't he? Mm. Of, of you know that accent, it's kind of the the, the, dif, the definitive Mid Atlantic accent where he's neither one thing nor the other kind of like Pierce Brosnan used to be uh, where he was kind of sort of a bit of both so to speak um, but yeah it's, it's, it's his thing isn't it and like you said you I mean you are the Statham connoisseur you are the king of all things Statham
0: <laughs> yeah what <laughs> what I think I really like in this movie from him is how relaxed he seems as you said you know look he's, he's acting Hoppett Stallone, one of his heroes, one of his admitted heroes, why he wanted to get into the type of films he's in. Now he's got Dolph Lundgren sitting in the corner. There's Jet Li there. We know how big into martial arts. I know he's a a big Bruce Lee fan, but he must be a fan of Jet Li as well, of course. He's surrounded by all these people. He's got scenes with Mickey Rourke and he just seems really comfortable in his own skin. I particularly like the scene when he turns up after being rejected by Chris character character. Cord- well, I'm just going to call her Cordelia. <laughs> I think it's Lacey, isn't it? When he gets rejected by Lacey. And he comes back and Tool's like ribbing on his head. He's like taking the piss out of his head. And he's like, I'll put a, a spiderweb tattoo on your head. and I'll Because it's such a defining trait of the state is his kind of silhouette and his hulking shoulders and his bald head. And it all goes together with the accent. And I think he's He's almost certainly now, he's almost somebody you could recognize from these kind of traits. And well, that's not the right word from his kind of attributes. You know, you can see that outline of injana Jones. Do you know I mean when the trailers come out, they like to show us him putting on the fedora, but through a shadow or in silhouette, or like, and, oh, yes, it's Indiana Jones, it's the hat. Like, I feel like I could see the silhouette of the state or the shadow of the state, like cast. Onto a wall, and I would know it was him just from the the shape of who he is.
2: Ah, absolutely, yeah. he's it, it, become he's become iconic, hasn't he? And um, and I, I what you said about him being so relaxed in this film, he does he does seem so at ease, and he has like a really sort of not lazy charisma. That's a really bad word, but he has this kind of like he's so laid back in the film, isn't he? He's mm. like, you know, despite the fact that they're in these life, you know, his, his character goes through it a bit, I suppose, with the, 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 the girlfriend, Lacey, and, and the, um, obviously the life and death situations are in, but he's, he's, he smiles so much through this film as well, mm. which isn't, isn't, again, that's not, that's not a big Statham trait in the films. He like the films he's in, he's not, he uh, doesn't traditionally play the happy-go-lucky character, and he doesn't smile a lot in films, but in this, he's constantly laughing at other people's comments, and smiling away it. I think it's, really, like I said before, it's a really great role for him. I think it's, again, I mean, he's coming back to play it a fourth time now, he must like it. Um, but I, I He's he's just great. I think it's a perfect role for him. Like I said, it's that transition between the career we had before and the career he has now. He obviously started in
0: blosters like the Meg and things like this. It feels like another, it does feel like another, t- not turning point, but I think there would have been people that maybe weren't aware of him despite the successes he had had up until this point. And this is another big step to be with his idols, to be brought to the attention of a lot of different people from different areas of fandom that perhaps hadn't been exposed to him before, despite him already being an action star, but being Sly's number two for the day is a, is a big deal in so many different ways. And yeah, I love that point about the smiling and the laughing. He just radiates charm in those moments. And it just he just, he looks, and you said it, just so full of joy. And you could just feel it watching it. You can feel like he must be having a great time on set. He's so happy to be with these people. And it, it makes mm. his character feel that way. And it's definitely true. Like in the moments, like at the start when they're facing off against the pirates and he's like, I'll get the four on the left and they have the banter about now you get the two because I'm quicker than you. And the way that his character then feels in these moments, as you said, that a life or death totally makes sense for Lee Christmas to be a little bit blasé, because that's who he is in all walks of life. He just kind of takes things as they come and nothing rattles him and he finds the joy in the little moments. And yeah, I think he makes more of a character than probably what was on the page.
2: I agree with that. Yeah. I think it's, um, I mean, this is probably, uh, you'll know better than me, but I think at the, at the time, this would have been the, the highest growth in film of his career to date, at this point, I would have thought. Oh no, I know he's been in bigger films since then. Obviously, mm. the ones we've mentioned, like Fast and Furious, and the Megs, they must have been on this. But I would imagine at this point in his career, he hadn't been in a film that had made this much money the way at the box office, and he's he's the verbal star of it. Yeah, I think he probably realised maybe at the time what an opportunity this was for him to uh, to cross over because um, like you said the the films you've been in this point all good films all you know well-made films but not on this level of of stardom mm. and exposure worldwide i mean this this film, this film was number one in open number one in the u.s box office the uk box office other countries as well. i think china as well I which is a massive china, market yeah. yeah so this is like an international smash hit like mm. nothing he'd experienced up, up to this point in his career so i think that translates into his performance really i think he's like thinking wow i've, I've kind of won the lottery here you know to be amongst such a steam company and to have arguably the best part in the films i think mm. his part is the best part in the film i know it i know it still owns baby and he's his creation and he's called he is calling the shots especially in this first film but i think Christmas is the best character in the film. In the film, by far, mm. he's the most appealing. He's the he's the he's the most likable. He's, he has the most to do. Um, he has some of the best lines. He has the, the, a lot of the biggest moments in the film. And it even comes down to the end where they both kill the end at the same yeah. time. Yeah, you know, you you think it's going to end with this sort of Stallone and Eric Roberts yeah but it, and it kind of does. You know, again, I saw out the film, so I shouldn't really worry too much about spoilers. But the way it ends is they both do something they both do something to Eric Roberts to kill him simultaneously. I mean who would have thought that? It would have you know, traditionally it would just be I suppose it is in parts two and three, it would be sly along with the villain and, and taking him out. Whereas this is like you you know I'll take him from this side and you take him from that side, which kind of mirrors the start of the film. What you were just saying then about you know I'll take the ones on the left, you take the ones on the right. They kind of do that at the end. It's really like, again yeah, I've only just thought of that. Actually, it's quite it's quite clever foreshadow foreshadowing. Although yeah. maybe may I'm giving Sly uh, too much credit there. I don't know.
0: <laughs> no, no, I think that's that's genuinely good writing there. I think that's total setup for what's going to happen later, and is definitely an attempt either. I think it must be been sent by Stallone to give Jason Statham as much of a impactful moment in the movie. It really is like a, mm. you are, as you just said, We you know, we are all, you know, he is his second in command, but it's almost like we are equals. We are, we are as reliant on each other to succeed and to survive. Like we'd be both be dead without each other. It's definitely that it's not a Batman and Robin. It's not Barney is the leader he would be dead if it wasn't for Lee Christmas and, Lee, uh, and vice versa, definitely.
2: Oh, yeah, they save each other's life and during the course of the film. This is where they both save each other's life. So, yeah, it's bam, like Batman and Batman, isn't it, really? That's, why, that's yeah. how I see it.
0: <laughs> and you're right. I looked at the, um, the figures as you were talking. So this is 50 million more box office than Collateral, which isn't obviously really a Jason Statham movie, but he is in it. Mm. And it's 100 million more than The Italian Job, which is the next nearest So it's a significant jump for him. Right. Yeah, that's that's what I mean. That's this is this is what,
2: in my opinion, this film is what propelled him from being, you know, a a highly sought after and 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 recognised and appreciated action star. But I think this puts him in that bracket of bankable leading man. I think.
0: Mm. No, I think you're absolutely right. And at most reviews or most opinions seem to fall on either it's his movie. Or it's Lundgren's movie. I know his is a much smaller role, but I think people were excited about him being back on the big screen. And and we know what a good actor Dolph Lundgren Mm. can be when he turns up as well. Yeah, he is,
2: actually. He's a lot, you know, I guess a lot of his career roles haven't given him the chance to showcase what he can do.
0: Um, I guess like a lot of action men, really, a lot of them, you know. And do you think Lee Christmas is the best character name out of of the wonderful array of names we've got, would you say? Um, it's either him or yin-yang, um, Fantastic <laughs> you know, J-
2: Jet Li's character, <laughs> um, yeah, um, probably either of those, I, th- I would say, yeah, Lee Christmas or, or uh, yin-yang, but they're all good, aren't they, you know, like we said before, Hail Caesar and Toll Road,
0: mm. I mean, Jesus Christ, um, Arnie too, he's Trench, isn't he? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah,
2: yeah, yeah, Trench Mauser or something like that he's mm. called,
0: yeah. Alright, just before we finish off, I thought I'd play a little game with you, if that's alright. Oh, yes please. So as you said, Stallone, obviously was involved in very many aspects of the filmmaking here. Did you notice or can you guess how many times his name came up during the opening credits?
2: Oh. I think what else he credited for other the acting, acting directing, directing
0: and me producing. Well, I'll one. I mean it's spot on You're spot on with the number good work there we get before the anything we get a film by then we get actor billing and then we get his right, screen, yeah. screenplay by along with David Callaghan and we get directed by he wasn't actually yeah. a credited producer on this one.
2: Oh right okay. okay so we get filmed by and then directed by which is exactly <laughs> the same thing
0: yeah yeah you get the bookends <laughs>
2: <laughs> oh
0: gee well i suppose when
2: you're running the show you can you can give that can't you i suppose yeah i suppose he didn't credit himself as like stunt coordinator or you know um i don't know something else but yeah oh wow four that must that's that's got to be up there in terms of individual credits for anyone
0: i think so yeah
2: yeah fantastic what a guy <laughs>
0: Alright, I'm going to delve into letterbox and I'll get your opinion, your final say on where, the, where you think it lies in the Statham filmography, and then I'll let you go. Okay, first up today is Lou Shoemaker. I kind of like the idea of getting a ton of macho action stars together and making an old-school action blockbuster like they used to make all the time in the 80s, but this movie doesn't feel like a throwback at all. It should have been something like Space Cowboys with older iconic actors teaming up to show the young guys how it's done. Except for Stallone, the cast is like mostly young guys, and the icons are relegated to cameos. Even ignoring the metatextual elements, the movie itself is stale and uninspired, although I kind of appreciate that you can just tune out for like 15 minutes and not miss anything important. I have no idea why they made Jason Statham a co-lead in this. He's not old enough to be in Stallone's league, and not young enough to be a protege but he's easily the best part of the movie. He gets this whole subplot revolving around this sort of girlfriend, who assumed that they had broken up after Statham disappeared on a months long mission. Of course, a new guy turns out to be an abuser, to give Statham an excuse to beat the shit out of him. The whole thing is weirdly domestic and small for a big budget movie, but it also gives you the only memorable scene in the entire thing. Slightly more positive is Travis Little, Without a story compelling enough to hoist its attention-grabbing cast and bone-crunching set pieces to glory, The Expendables comes across only as a worthy concept mired in mediocrity. Recruiting names like Jet Li, Jason Statham, Darth Lundgren, Terry Crews and a stellar cameo or two, Sylvester Stallone puts together an action thriller, all dressed up with great faces and no narrative where to go. Thanks to its lack of an intriguing plot and cheap-filling production, the film lands as something flat and, well... Expendable. Maybe not more positive, but the star rating would lead you to believe so. Old man Angelo, he's definitely more positive. Schlocky, haphazard, dorky as hell, an absolute mess. I love it. This film was very much done making it up as he went along, and really, it's perfect for the oddball nature of the cast and their characters. We get some great turns here, from a self-depreciating sly a more laid-back Statham, Jetly channelling a neurotic Woody Allen, Drill Sergeant Steve Austin and of course the MVP, Mr Dolph Lundgren, who chews through the scenery with a plum and won't let up throughout the whole franchise. It's fun going back to this and seeing the very obvious work of Chad Stileski in the choreography and action. Perhaps they can bring him back and direct part 4. Let them go out with a real bang. As we know, unfortunately, Chad isn't the director of part four. But we reserve judgment on the job that Scott Wall does do in the movie until we see it. Stileski is probably too big now. The final one. Short and sweet, Charlie says, Solid action movie that's just worth watching for its action scenes. And thankfully, there are a lot of those. Statham steals the show for me. Charlie knows what's up. And agrees with us too. So, Max, what final say you? OK.
2: Um, so I think then, if we're judging it not as a film in isolation, but against the, the Statham specific Statham filmography, then I think it has to be classic. I think it has to be. Stallone is a shorthand, hand. Um, like some minor editing style and have you, but I think overall it went really well. I think there's better for this particular. Franchise. If you'll have me back to just part two, I guess um, in the future we'll we'll go into that. But I think as a franchise starter, and for the amount of star power that's in it, and the the nostalgia factor, the novelty factor, I'm yeah, I'm going to put it in into stay own work. Classic for me.
0: Mm. Great. I mean, I will definitely have you back for part two if you're if you're putting yourself You know, I want you to come back, and that's good because that means it's a step up from you. So you gave Ghosts of Mars a worth catching. So now you're getting into the realms of the classic state appearances, and long may that continue.
2: Oh, absolutely. I think I think it's a quantum leap from <laughs> from Ghosts of Mars. If I'm being brutally honest, uh, although I do have a soft for ghosts. Mars or anything, but yeah, I think this is this is this is where Stone at uh, Storm So, forgive me, this is where Statham
0: takes the leap towards the A list. I think that's mm. yeah, totally fair to say, bro, mate. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. This is coming out on the 18th of September. What have you got coming up around then, or coming out around then? We've got a mandatory music and CD to look forward to, yeah. we've trying to reschedule the next episode has been an absolute nightmare
2: between the three of us, myself, Tony and Dave, we always pick a date and one of us, it it seems to alternate who that is, will have something going on in their life which means it has to be postponed. So we were going to record this week, uh, but Tony's waylaid with work and what have you. So uh, the date is TBC at the moment, depending on when Tony can uh, find a window for us. But as and when he he is, we will record. We are going to be, our next episode will be covering the classic Iron Maiden album, The Number* of the beast which is a very special album for me it's one i picked it was my pick so i very much look forward to, to delving into that with those two guys so look out for that on the um, comics in motion network feed hopefully it should be out by then if it isn't i'm very sorry it, i have uh, if not it will be out very shortly after then
0: so we'll just be getting a double dose of you that's wonderful
2: well, you know, I'm like sort of, I'm like buses, you know, I, I, I sort of go <laughs> to ground for weeks on end and then, and then I'll appear and do things in, in, in bunches. So, uh, yeah, it's coming soon, shall we say?
0: Brilliant. Thank you, mate. And thank you, everyone, for listening and partaking in this journey with me through the Stace filmography. That was The Expendables. Next up in a fortnight is The Mechanic, featuring the debut of state superfan Glynn, followed by something quite different Nomeo and Juliet. Featuring the return of the Comics Emotion Zone star-crossed lovers, Mike and Megan, for anyone that is watching along. I've been I'm Jack's Musings, and that's JACS. And you can find me on Twitter where I am most active, or I guess I should say X nowadays. You can also contact the show directly on Twitter X under the name Back to the Filmog. Make sure you use the hashtag follow the filmography. I'm also a proud member of the aforementioned Comics Emotion family a super place full of the world's greatest people dedicated to bringing you podcasts on a variety of geeky topics. So, please make sure you take the time to search, subscribe, and rate our shows whenever and wherever you listen. Until next time, be excellent to each other and make sure you take the time to treat yourself too. I am Jack signing off. yippee ki movie lovers. Thank you, Bruce, for that one.